Hello, and welcome back to ARPDC's Changemaker Conversations in Education, a podcast of the Alberta Regional Professional Development Consortium. My name is Rick Gilson, Executive Director of the Southern Alberta Professional Development Consortium, and in this episode, I'm joined in conversation with Dr. Ron Richard. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. And we're visiting today with Ron Richard, Dr. Ron Richard, Senior Research Assistant at Harvard Project Zero, author and a presenter, and uh, talking a little bit today about uh, the life journey that has led to his uh, work primarily in the power of making thinking visible uh, that started, uh, I think, obviously, when he started teaching. I'll let him talk to that. But uh, started with a book published in 2002 called Intellectual Character. Ron, could you share with us a little bit uh, your background as a classroom teacher and what brought you to write that first book and then carried on into this work on making thinking visible? Hmm. Um, I mean, so just a quick kind of recap here. I actually began my, my teaching career in New Zealand. Um, teaching 35, six, seven, and eight-year-olds all in one classroom, teaching everything there. Um, a fabulous learning experience of, of really also thinking about what does it mean to build a classroom culture, to be with this group of learners um, all day, every minute um, for the, the entire day there. Um, but then I did go back to the, the States where um, I taught elementary school, third and fourth grade before moving into middle school mathematics. And, you know, I think that one of the things that was kind of a real through line for my teaching, particularly as I began to kind of teach mathematics, was um, I kind of moved into that area because at one point I realized I was doing to my students exactly what had been done to me as a student. Um, I never enjoyed mathematics. I was teaching it the exact same way. And so I was interested in to look at, well, how could this be different? And that's where I really began to kind of focus on, well, what does it mean to understand? What does it mean to understand mathematics versus just do procedures? Um, what is mathematical thinking? What's involved there? Um, how do we send a different message in the mathematics classrooms? And so many students don't like that, but how do we develop kind of the curiosity and the, the metacognition there? And at the time I kind of stumbled upon David Perkins' book, Smart Schools, which was a, again, a real kind of catalyst for me to really begin to kind of take those ideas further. And so, um, having that in those those questions, that interest in thinking and metacognition, development of dispositions, um, then having the opportunity to go to Harvard to work with um, Project Zero, the research group there, work with David Perkins, and really kind of develop that that further. And you know, you mentioned the book Intellectual Character, and that was the the first. That was my um, dissertation research. You know, one of the, the first books I wrote around um, kind of these ideas. And I was really interested in trying to learn from best practice. Um, you know, I think that as teachers, there's always so much we can learn from one another, so much we can learn from best practice. So I spent a year in classrooms, classrooms of teachers who were really adept at getting their students to think. 
and really wanted to understand what those teachers did, how they developed those habits of mind, how they developed those dispositions. And so, you know, that early research really, you know, planted, you know, so many seeds or, you know, switch metaphors here, so many anchors of really important ideas um, that I've kind of been able to follow throughout my career, that there's a lot of depth to them. So, you know, one of those ideas is the idea of the, the eight cultural forces of really beginning to, to unpack culture of, you know, how is culture built? Um, how do teachers leverage culture? What does that look like? And so understanding that. And so from there, really been able to, um, you know, dig into those ideas, you know, through, um, you know, the past two decades of research. If you, you, you mentioned anchors and I appreciate you shifting the met metaphor there a little bit because that, that implies something that you're going to sink down that can hold through any kind of storm, uh, any kind of situation. Uh, I wonder what if beginning teachers, current teachers thrust into new teaching situations, what would be the anchors you would think they should really try to establish to be able to get through the current situation we're working with, with students coming and going, uh, COVID impact uh, on the classroom and uh, the number of people who are now teaching online. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what would be those primary anchors in your mind? Yeah. Um, well, this also, you know, I mean, your question really kind of touches on also kind of the, the current line of research that we're looking at of really identifying um, 10, you could call them anchors, you could call them mindsets, um, you could call them guiding principles. Um, so just to kind of mention a few of those, um, we're putting those together in, in a website that should be out, um, you know, by the end of the year. Um, but, you know, and, and I don't pretend in any way that these, you know, are, um, you know, rocket science. It's not about inventing, um, you know, new shiny things. It is about that drilling down and saying, well, what is it that is holding things in place? And so, you know, one of those guiding principles for us is students learn best when they feel known, valued, and respected. And, you know, I think, you know, all teachers and certainly all experienced teachers will tell you, you know, building those relationships with students, the way that we interact, helping students feel kind of known, valued and respected, that um, that goes a long way because, you know, we, I think about learning as a risky endeavor. That learning involves being willing to make mistakes, try new things, challenge oneself, push to the limits. And we can engage in risky behavior and risky endeavors when we feel supported, when we feel known, when we feel valued. And if we don't, then we're going to kind of clam up and we're going to kind of play it safe. So I think that that's a big one. Another one that um, you know certainly runs through all of my work is the idea that learning is a product of thinking. Um, that's not my line. That's actually a line from David um, Perkins' book *Smart Schools*, and um, you know it's just so incredibly important. And why I think that is so important is we often lose sight of that as teachers and we get in the trap of thinking or um, 
maybe we're, we're not even thinking about, we, we get in the, the, the trap anyway of teaching being the delivery of content. And so we look at what we have to teach, what we have to cover, and then we think about our lessons as delivering that content. And I like to say, you know, students don't learn through the delivery of content. Students only learn when they do something with that content. And so it's not that content goes away. It's not in any way that I'm suggesting that content isn't important. Um, what I'm suggesting is, you know, delivery of content is a pretty simplistic view of what teaching is. And so we have to look at that content. And the first question we have to ask ourselves as teachers is, well, what is the thinking I need students to be doing with that content in order for them to build their understanding? And then I'll just mention kind of one more um, kind of connects to some things I've already said here, um, you know, that learning occurs at the point of challenge. And I think that goes to the heart of what differentiated instruction is all about. Um, and it's about kind of finding that, that sweet spot for every student about how do we make sure that every student is challenged. And again, one of the traps we kind of fall into in schools is that the student that already knows our material gets the best grade. But that student isn't learning anything. They're sitting through our class, not learning a single thing, and yet they get rewarded with the top grade because they already know the material. And so if we're really interested in learning, we have to make sure that that student is challenged, that they have to be pushed. They have to be on kind of their edge for learning to occur for them. And so as teachers, it's finding, you know, well, where, how do I press students? How do I push them so that they get out of that comfort zone so that they are the next step further in their learning. And then, you know, where needed, how do I scaffold and support those students that need that extra scaffold and support so that they feel challenged, but with support. So those are three, I think, really important ones to kind of hang on to. People often talk about closing the gap. And uh, certainly helping our students be mindful of their thinking can help close the gap, but it's most important that they focus on the individual gap where that student is, where that student can be, as opposed to some arbitrary gap that we've established and try to apply to all. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, when we have to look at learning as more than just, um, again, kind of, um, being able to march through the curriculum or, or spout back, you know, kind of certain answers that we're also, and again, it's not to say that we don't care about content, but we also care about, um, you know, to me, one of the fundamental questions we always should be asking ourselves at, as teachers is who are my students becoming as thinkers and learners during their time with me? Mm -hmm. So, in addition to that content, that's kind of our dual, um, you know, task there that we, yes, we want them to, you know, develop the skills, we want them to develop the understanding, we want them to, you know, develop the knowledge, but we also want them to develop as human beings, because the learning isn't going to be over. So I think, you know, kind of worldwide, you know, we, with all of our focus on testing and accountability, um, a great irony is that, is that we actually don't have a lot of evidence of the effects of our teaching. 
And that's because we've kind of created the game of school. We teach kids something and we test them right away. So what we have information about is we have information about short-term learning. I mean, every teacher knows, particularly every secondary teacher knows, you know, before you give kids a test, you stop teaching, you go over everything you just taught, you give kids a study guide, you send them home to study, you know, give them ample time, and then you give them a test on kind of like the optimal day to kind of create this illusion of learning. And we know as teachers and our students know, you know, three weeks later, they wouldn't get the same results. So we keep rewarding this short-term ability to hold information, not the long-term learning, not that development of who we are as learners. And so, you know, to the extent we can, I think we have to begin to kind of shift gears and make sure that we are not actually selling our students short or giving them an impoverished education by too much focus on that short-term. We need to focus on the long term, which in one respect means you focus on big ideas worthy of understanding. You make sure these are real, um, you know, um, fundamental um, concepts and ideas, which uh, when students understand this, it really provides a foundation for future learning. And then we also make sure that we are looking at that development of students as thinkers and learners during their time with us as well. So if we do those two things, um, then I think we can do a lot to kind of mitigate um, the tendency to just focus on that kind of short term. Who are my thinkers and students becoming? Uh, just reminds me that, uh, well, first off, I th you would agree that a curious person will learn a lot more than a person who's lacking curiosity on anything. If, I'm cu if you're curious about something, you want to know more. There's a, a statement, you, know, you can lead a horse to water, finish the statement. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. <laughs> And I, I, I believe a thirsty horse will always want to drink. And if you can develop students who are aware of their thinking and see the importance of their thinking, they become like a thirsty horse. Mm -hmm. They're going to they're gonna want to drink. Um, I think it's also from what you've said, if we could help our ourselves as educators, keep in mind that the things that we do with our students impacts their trajectory long after they leave us, then this work that you do mm -hmm. should become more important to us. Would that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that we want, um, you know, we don't want our students to feel that school is something that which is done to them. You know, when you know, you're talking there about curiosity that, um, you know, it, it's easy perhaps to blame students or blame the learner for their lack of curiosity. Um, but if what you're learning is disconnected from your lives, if the message you have gone is that school is a hurdle to get through um, and you just kind of you know, cross over those hurdles to, until you're done with it, you know, then we shouldn't be surprised that the students aren't displaying curiosity. So we need to take some responsibility for that and saying, how do we make the learning more connected to students' lives? How do we help them to see themselves as active agents in their learning, people who have ideas? Again, 
that kind of core principle that that learners that students learn best when they feel known valued and respected and so when you feel known valued and respected when you feel like your ideas what you have to contribute your questions actually have a place then that goes a long way to nurturing that curiosity but if there's no room um, for that curiosity to kind of flourish then it does tend to go underground do you think that when you've got that sense of of uh, value and you're encouraged to share your thinking that that also goes and and here maybe i'm going back to the beginning for you in terms of the creating cultures uh peace but that that creates uh, a greater level of lack of a better word compassion for for my fellow students or or the people i'm engaged in a conversation with for their thinking well, when we are creating that that culture and building that community with that, then um, you know we are are disrupting a lot of the perhaps kind of more traditional roles that students get kind of ingrained in that you know that learning is this individual activity, that learning is a receptive process, that it is just about what the teacher says, giving the teacher that information back on the test. But when it does become about our ideas, our questions, it becomes how we build off of others' ideas, how we learn from one another, how we, you know, kind of create that community and create that culture for our learning, then everyone kind of gets elevated in that endeavor. And everybody benefits from le learning from everybody and the linking or the learning becomes better linked. Ron, you have a number of thinking strategies that you have written about from the very beginning, the very, the very first book through to this most recent one on the power of making thinking visible. Uh, put you on the spot. Your favorite two. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I'll say just a little bit, um, kind of in, in prefacing that uh, before I Fair uh, enough. share with you some of my favorites. And, and that is, the, so the idea of thinking routines, again, it actually comes from that early research. One of the things that I, I saw that the teachers I was studying do was, you know, they didn't teach thinking skills, you know, they didn't utilize a program. Instead, what I noticed was they had routines and structures which scaffolded and supported their students' learning. And so I and many of my colleagues um, at Project Zero at Harvard, we've really looked at how is it we kind of can think about those routines and really, um, you know, provide those scaffolds that help students really begin to kind of explore the content. So one of, um, you know, I think that I probably go through um, phases of, of favorite ones. Um, <laughs> one of my um, kind of current favorites is the making meaning routine. And that one kind of emerged, a lot of the routines actually emerged from thinking about, um, again, the content and, and asking myself that question of, okay, well, what is it that I want learners to do with that content? How do I scaffold that process? And the routine actually folds out from that. So um, the making meaning routine is an opportunity for, um, you know, people in a group, generally a group of, you know, five to eight, um, although it can be larger, to really work together to build collective meaning around a topic or a concept. And it's proven to be a really kind of rich experience. 
that through the discussion, through the kind of simple scaffolding and the steps of that routine, you know, people kind of develop some really, you know, kind of um, profound insights from that. Actually, I was just watching a video that a, um, a colleague um, shared with me of her doing that routine with her um, sixth grade students around the topic of bravery and to see how those students were going so much deeper and at the end you know they said that their concept their definition of, of bravery was um, radically changed from how they originally kind of thought about that and that was again through the opportunity to discuss and share hear different perspectives um, be challenged on their ideas and pushed in their thinking so i would say that that's certainly you know kind of one of my favorites there Thank you for sharing that. And, and I could see how another uh, I used to think, but now I think would be uh, linked into that. We've made this meaning and you said their concept or understanding of bravery had evolved and changed. And, and that's the whole piece of it and something that would then carry through. Uh, and as I said, impact their trajectory for their life. Last uh, second, last question, but the last one's super easy. Second, last question. Um, again, uh, what counsel would you have for those teachers who find themselves in an online environment in, in terms of trying to uh, help students thinking become visible to them and visible to the teacher in that environment that we're currently finding so many people working in? Uh, well, what we find um, is, again, the thinking routines wind up being so incredibly useful because particularly on the online environment, we probably have to do even more scaffolding. And so, you know, the, um, you know, the, the discussion doesn't flow as easily in the online um, environment, or perhaps it never did really. I mean, I always say that, you know, in, in a teacher in a classroom, you, know, you could have 25 students. If you've got four or five students talking during a discussion, it feels quite lively for you. You know, on the Zoom with the lags and things, all of a sudden it doesn't feel, you know, as, as comfortable. So having those structures that will help to scaffold the participation, um, giving students, you know, here's how we're going to prepare for, you know, going into breakout rooms, here's what you're going to do giving them a scaffold, giving them a plan of what that is actually going to, um, to look like. So we shouldn't expect students to actually, you know, kind of just go about that process cold. So asking ourselves again, that question is, okay, well, in this moment with this content um, to facilitate the learning, what's the thinking I want students to do? And how will I scaffold and support that thinking? And it may be that there's a routine that really fits very well kind of do that. So that's one thing that I, you know, I've constantly kind of, um, you know, found is, you know, how do we, we do that? I think the other thing that I know that I have found a lot online is um, because on um, a, a Zoom call where people are individual, individualized, so it makes it much harder to listen. It's actually a little bit easier to listen in an environment where you're actually seeing everyone's face, people are interacting, people are moving just a little bit, you know, and there's enough visually kind of going on that it kind of helps to, you know, support the listening. And so I think that we have to be aware of that, you know, how much are we talking? 
and we can't expect our students to, you know, listen for too long before we ask them to do something, engage in some conversation, do, you know, some reflection, do some chatting, um, sending them to breakout rooms. So I think to really be aware of that, how much am I asking students to actually, you know, kind of listen and, and do a lot more chunking than we might have done in the classroom. For certain. And, you know, we say sending them to breakout rooms and it's almost like go to your room. Uh, and yet really all it is, is an electronic version of turn and talk to your neighbor mm. uh, in, in a way that you can uh, partake in the, in the turn and talk without too many voices trying to speak at the same time, mm -hmm. which even though here we are doing this on zoom and you're there and I'm here and it, and we've become very used to just, talking to your screen <laughs> as if yeah, you're just sitting at the other side of the table from me here. Uh, you're in the, in the California area and, and I'm up here in Southern Alberta. Thank you very much, Ron. Really appreciate you taking this time with us today. The last question of the day, a book recommendation. What are you reading right now that you would like to share with us that we might take a look at as well? Hey. Well, there, there's one that, um, I mean, the one that I just got that I have not um, really dug into as much as I would like um, is um, the, the title alone is, is worth buying it. The title is um, Unnecessarily Beautiful Spaces for Young Minds on Fire. And um, one of the thing, one of the cultural forces is environment and um, it's a book that really looks at how do we create um, environments for learning um, for young people. And, and, it, and it doesn't use schools. It's looking at the community and community organizations and primarily looking at, um, there was a, a group, David Eggers started this in San Francisco, um, I think it's um, Valencia 457 or something like that, mm -hmm. um, which was, about a tutoring service that um, he created for students in the mission. And in order to have students um, come in for tutoring and come in for their learning, he made the center, the front of the, um, the storefront that he took over, he made it a pirate store. And so you walk in and you can buy pirate goods. And then in the back, you can get tutoring. And yeah. So um, there's a whole series of these um, tutoring places. And so it's a beautiful book with beautiful images of looking at. And I think that that idea of respecting our learners, um, thinking about the aesthetics, thinking about the learning, thinking about the environment um, is very useful. So that would be the one I'd recommend. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. And thank you very much for your time today. Look forward to... Uh, seeing you in sessions in uh, southern alberta and across alberta in the in the days weeks and months ahead uh, appreciate working with you and, and uh, hearing your thoughts great thanks rick looking forward to it myself once again i would like to thank uh, dr ron richard for spending some time with us and sharing his thoughts i'd like to re recommend that you pick up a copy of the power of making thinking visible Practices to Engage and Empower All Learners by Ron Richard and Mark Church. A reminder that at the sapdc.ca website, you can uh, check out our upcoming sessions with uh, Ron Richard. 
I'll be uh, speaking on the power of making thinking visible, a three-part series, October 7th, October 28th, and November 18th, as well as uh, the culture of cultures of thinking, which will be a four-part series, uh, January 20th, February 24th, March 17th, and April 14th. You'll find those to be highly educational and engaging. Support your work in the classroom or online. Thank you and take care.